0: you are listening to the 3cr podcast of encyclopedia encyclopedia is broadcast live every sunday from 2 p.m for more information head to 3cr.org.au Good afternoon and welcome to
1: uh, Australia's favourite way to keep up to date on drug policy, especially if you're in Melbourne where you can actually listen to the show on the radio station. But hey, we're across, uh, across the World Wide Web <laughs> because it's 1993 and I'm going to talk to you like it is uh, World Wide Web. Uh, sorry, my name's Nick. I'm obviously overexcited on this sunny Sunday. I thought it was just about the end of summer, but apparently it's kicking back up again. We're going to have 38 degrees before the end of the week. Uh, and you have just heard from Freedom of Species who will be back next week week uh from one o'clock for all uh your animal rights listening requirements and you can find them on the 3cr website 3cr.org.au uh link to their podcast subscribe to that and your favorite podcasting app and uh keep up to date with all the issues on social media because uh a lot of uh, the shows here are um, a little like nodes for their communities. We're a node for our community, Freedom of Species, a node for theirs, Queering the uh, Air, Sally on uh, Out of the Pan, all of the shows that you hear on 3CR, just about all of them, are uh, little nodes for a much broader community that's out there and you'll hear a lot of uh, uh, information of what's going on, but it's only sort of the tip of the iceberg. I know we only get the tip... Um, here and there, and I'm sitting across, um, talking to you, my friend, through the, uh, radio uh, waves, but also to Ash Blackwell, who's sitting across from me. Ash, how are you going?
0: I'm good afternoon. Um... We've got a big show, but just before we get into it, I just wanted to acknowledge that today is International Family Drug Support Day. Um, Family Drug Support, are an organization that was set up for the specific needs of families that might have somebody in the family who has a issue with drug addiction. Uh, We had Chloe, I think two weeks ago, um, uh, produce a show uh, where she covered a lot of the issues around that. You can find that on the 3CR website. And if you are somebody who uh, has a a loved one who's having problems with addiction, you can reach them, uh, family drug support, on their national support line, 1-300-368-186, 24 hours a day, all around the nation. Um, And tomorrow, there's a whole range of events happening, the main one being in Hawthorne, do you have the details up? Or I if, do, yes.
1: Yeah. yes. Uh, from 10.30am tomorrow, the International Family Drug Support Day event in Melbourne is happening at the Hawthorne Arts Centre, uh, the Zelman Room. Uh, it's for free. It runs from 10.30 until 12 o'clock. Uh, they are asking for registration, but I reckon if you turned up there and you didn't have one, <laughs> it'd probably be all right. But if you want to register, uh, internationalfdsday.fds.org.au forward slash twenty nine dash events uh is the place to go and you'll hear from uh from uh Tony Trimmingham talking about his son Damien who uh catalyzed Tony's involvement with all of this. Uh Damien passed away and I think it was the late nineties. Um and uh I- I mean, Damien's, uh, Tony's story of Damien is a story that many parents have, unfortunately, way too many across Australia, and uh, I think his was related to opiates, but important to also realise that many uh, illegal drugs do carry risks with them, and we exacerbate those risks through the policy of prohibition, through the failed policy uh, of prohibition. Prohibition, And that's sort of what we're going to be talking about today because um, Prohibition has just extended its reach out into our music festivals and now become uh, the music festivals have become the latest scapegoat for this failed policy of Prohibition. Uh, and this all came about because uh, o- over the latest uh, summer season, there have been five deaths. Now, this is not actually that unusual. I think last summer season, if we went and mapped this, almost every season, if you are just counting music festivals, you'll see a small handful handfuls of deaths. If you also include pubs and nightclubs, you'll see a much larger one. And if you include those um, people that... Because remembering... Um, a, a, um, an extreme scenario like an overdose in an event or something like that is terrible. Um, usually you've got medical staff on on uh, on hand so that they can start to deal with that. But a lot of the um, bigger problems, especially with our number one favourite drug, alcohol, uh, are long-term. They're the sorts of problems that don't don't really creep up on uh, up onto people until they're 30, 40, 50, and then start having serious problems with their liver or with their kidney or with um, cancer or with a number of other conditions that people get from... Uh, chronic alcoholism that can, sometimes can, you know, seem a bit fun, especially at a lot of, you know, people like to drink a lot at music festivals as well. That's number If we were to rate all the drugs of uh, how much people are taking at music festivals, especially if we were to include festivals like Tamworth Country Music Festival, which uh, Gladys Berejiklian, New South Wales Premier, wanted to disclude from her list of music festivals that she was targeting, pretty sure you would find alcohol consumption is really high but uh, let's put that aside we're actually we're gonna we're gonna focus on that for the whole episode <laughs> well we're gonna be focusing on
0: um, festivals and pill testing uh, and we're covering two states uh, Nick was actually up in New South Wales uh, a couple of days ago at the what was the name of the rally up there uh, so the don't kill
1: all. live music rally was in Sydney um, and that was a coalition of music festivals and music industry heavyweights from across the country um, that have put together a signed letter to basically say stop Stop attacking our... F- and this is all in response to... So, just continuing the story, it's not just the drug deaths. What's happened now is that the New South Wales government has decided to introduce regulations, which they say are about safety of the patrons, Which, but the festivals say, hang on, we've already been doing that plus more for many years, and what's this clause about You, uh, we have to give the mo- the police however much money they ask for, and what is this about several festivals already being essentially extorted by the police so that they can't even operate any anymore that's pretty funny it doesn't seem like safety so that's sort of the argument that's going on that it really doesn't seem like it's about safety uh because these regulations are uh, were, were formed i mean we're not even sure how the expert committee that they had was only about Two or three people. And one of them
0: was a liquor licensing and gaming person who mm. I don't know if they had any experience at all in the festival environment.
1: And that's um that's where some people have been saying, hey, um, follow the money, because it's the liquor license and gaming um, regulators that seem to be getting the... Um, uh, getting the the, the good side of this all. It seems like they're the ones that are being put into position uh, where they'll be able to make a lot of money and control what's going on. And um, that's led to a lot of jokes about Gladys um, uh, and the support, the strong support that she gives to things like the casinos, and uh, I think New South Wales has the highest number of pokey machines in Australia. I think New South Wales
0: is the one. Not sure.
1: It's either New it South Wales plausible. or Victoria. <laughs> it's it's one of us. I think New South Wales beats us. Um, but yeah, this kind of this casino, this gambling, this horse racing, this alcohol culture, we do. It is a culture war because there is a culture that is being supported, and there is a culture that's being told no, you're not allowed. And it does look like a lot of it is about money and power. Um, so we're gonna. Yeah, hear a bit uh, from these festivals uh, in just a moment and we're also going to be hearing uh, about yesterday. Uh,
0: Yeah, yesterday I attended the City Street Rave event uh, put on sort of in solidarity with uh, what's happening in New South Wales and um, we're not going to hear from the speeches there but I did manage to drag to the side uh, a few politicians and Greg Chip from Drug Policy Australia and record a couple of short interviews to get a bit of a sense of how things look at the beginning of um, this new term of Parliament.
1: Before we get there, we'll play a little bit of music um, to get you started on this Sunday afternoon. Uh, This is In Psychedelia on 3CR, and right now, uh, Head Flux with Meat Suit. Flux with meat suit maintenance on or on 3CR and you can find more from Headflux if you uh, head to places like Beatport or uh, just look, look him up on the social media. Uh, now crossing to Thursday afternoon uh, slash evening in sydney at hyde park uh and i started off with a little bit of presets because um what's his name can't remember his name from the presets uh was there i only heard a little bit of the uh, speeches as they were going on because i was walking around um trying to uh, chat with people uh, but apparently he uh, got into like starting the project the presets which is a big sort of commercial pop um, thing especially from about 10 years ago I, I didn't I mean I don't keep up to date with commercial pop music so I don't know if it's still relevant now but uh, um, I remember they were, they were pretty big in the sort of late 2000s early 2010s um, so yeah a you know, p- bit of presets and this is uh, from the Don't Kill Live music rally in Sydney at Hyde Park on Thursday evening. <laughs>
2: Festivals being uh, day festivals or weekend festivals have always held like such a, an important cultural role for young people, a way to get together, be fully expressive, get your colours out, um, uh, have a lot of bonding and just dance, be, be completely out of, out of your context and able to just find your real creative self. Um, and without that, I don't think we get that opportunity very often. I, I kind of uh, have so much respect for Aboriginal culture. Obviously, I'm not going to understate the power of their culture, but corroborees for them were a way to get people from all around the state together in one, into one place to, like, to uh, connect, you know, and to, to have a dance, to have an opportunity to, um, to have dialogue and strengthen bonds. And festivals, for me, have always been like that, a contemporary version for, for us. And without that, we'd lose that opportunity to, to really um, get together from all walks of life. Uh, I go to festivals to have fun and um, be a different me. This reform, um, what I've heard of it is that it's going to d- dramatically impact on how festivals run and unfortunately that means that a lot will have to, um, will have to close and they won't be able to function. Cause they've, they've been slapped with huge um, fees required for increased um, police presence um, and increased safety measures which I don't think is, uh, uh, is the answer to resolve a lot of the, the, the harm caused by drug taking at festivals. I think uh, much more emphasis should be put on uh, education um, to allow young people to make the right decisions rather than have to um, be under the oppression of the police um, and prohibition that they provide, which hasn't been shown to work. Like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but like follow the money,
3: there's a reason why, and uh, um, although it appears like it's harmful and impactful on a certain part of population, I'm sure there's another part of the population that are doing pretty well out of it. So, uh, you know, there's vested interests at work.
4: Festivals are a sense of community. Every festival I've been to, whether it be a hardstyle music festival, a tour, or even live music—it's a sense of community. It all brings together. It's amazing. It's safe. Everyone has fun. It's been around for hundreds of years. Like you saw, people bagpipes and like flutes at festivals together, and it's—it's it's always been fun and safe.
1: You know, people know what they're doing. People come for have fun. This
5: time by
1: Music rally in Hyde Park. Uh, in the middle of Sydney and uh, been wandering around the crowd and uh, just happened to run into Will Tregoning, the uh, um, director of Unharm. Will, how are you going?
3: I'm well, thanks, Nick. It's good good to see you in person. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, good to see you too. Um,
1: So this was catalyzed by the deaths that have happened over the past few months, over the latest festival season. It's been turned into something much bigger as Gladys has cracked down on festivals. Um, But where is is New South Wales at with the, the pill testing discussion?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, this particular event, it's like broadened into an issue around uh, overregulation on festivals, um, came out of some of the um, policing practices that have been increasingly imposed on festivals, making it like harder and harder for them to do, um, to to exist here in New South Wales. And I guess it's kind of combined with um, ongoing frustration about about the same kind of overregulation within the inner city area, the lockout laws, and the effect that that's had on live music venues. In addition to all the other things, you know, like the pressures of um, in the inner city uh, making it difficult to run those kind of venues. So I guess it's like a, 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 it's, it's a fairly broad church that is about um, the kind of impacts that, I guess, poor planning and sh- shitty regulation have had on the kinds of spaces and, and ex- experiences that are really important to a lot of people uh, that aren't being recognized by politics right now. Suppose
1: that's why it sort of looks more like a culture war than uh, than people getting upset about uh, about the drug issues. But um, that's certainly been uh, at the at the centre uh, uh, to,
3: to catalyse these things. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. You, I mean, yeah, that has been an, a key part of it, and it's been the reason why a lot of the really oppressive regulations have come in for festivals. That was. Most of the most, not all, but definitely most of the reason why I think, um, you know, the for example, the policing ratios at festivals are there in order to run huge operations at the entrances. That's where the majority of the costs are coming from. A lot of the promoters have pointed out, just like for example, in the in the um, meeting that was held at Parliament House um, just a few days ago, that. The police that come to their festivals are pre- predominantly operating at the entrance to the venue. It's just to create that in- incredible kind of, um, you know, array of, uh, <laughs> yeah, intimidating police at, at the entrance to the event. And, that, yeah, so it's a frustration about that, both in terms of what that means for the festivals, but then definitely um, in terms of what it means for patrons and the... the both for the experience and then of course for the, the risk that comes from being frightened in an environment where um, you may be taking drugs legal or illegal. Uh, so while I'm walking around, I also ran into uh, Fiona Meesham, who happens to be here
1: from The Loop. Uh, Fiona, um, I mean, you're you from the UK, where The Loop has been operating. Uh, I think you did 14 festivals last year, was it? 12. 12, yes. 12 okay. A uh, number of festivals last year, and you're looking to uh, get that happening in Australia. How have discussions been uh, with the with the people that can make these decisions around New South Wales and the other states as well, where you've been?
6: Yeah, so we've been. I've been in three states again. Uh, I've been in Queensland, in Victoria, in New South Wales, having meetings with ministers, with police um, and with other stakeholder groups. I think it's going to happen next summer but it's obviously not going to be happening this summer which is a disappointment. We're obviously really pleased about the Groove the Moo second trial uh, and that will help add momentum I think. Uh, But yeah it's a shame that it has to take the tragedies of six people I think who died here. Uh, Last time I was here that was before that happened so you know it's it's the situation of how long do you have to wait, how many more people have to die before we can get pill testing off the ground but I have to say say in the UK it was actual individual tragedies that led to the catalyst to us getting off the ground there it's sad but maybe that's the way it has to be
1: yeah it does seem to be that way um there's also a uh, election just around the corner in New South Wales only a, a couple of months away so uh, obviously this, this is going to turn into an, an election issue um you've been speaking with uh politicians from across the political spectrum probably not the Liberal Party so much but other um uh, uh other groups uh What's what's the what's the feeling?
3: Yeah, I think that what it does show is that the, the um, you know most of electoral politics is really out of touch with, in particular, a uh, demographic that is mostly young people. Um, there has been, especially within the current government, a complete indifference. I mean, well beyond this issue, to to anyone under forty, and uh, this is a part of that. Um, and I think it is becoming an electoral issue. I mean, pe- even people within the Liberal Party know, as well as within Labor, that they are failing to kind of renew themselves. And um, I think that this is one example of like a really important constituency that's being ignored and is getting organised and is showing that they care and uh, will begin to influence uh, electoral politics in New South Wales, definitely, yeah.
1: Uh, we've seen um, a lot of support for uh, pill testing, and also a lot of support uh, uh, to, to, to question how the passive alert uh, detector, or the sniffer dog operation, works uh, in New South Wales, where you see it in uh, train stations. We don't quite see that in Victoria. Um, and there was also a meeting at uh, Parliament House with heads of uh, uh, heads of festivals, heads of uh, musical events. Um, have you had chats with the uh, with the Greens in New South Wales? And, and um, I, I mean, I don't know what what. Like how well positioned they are to be able to make change. And, yeah. uh, with about drug detection dogs and drug detection and uh, pill testing.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, actually, one of the really interesting things that's been going on has been um, outside of that. Like some of those remain really difficult to make change on. Drug detection dogs. unfortunately, we know that a majority of the public continues to support them, even though there's been mounting evidence about the harmfulness over a 12-year period now. Um, But what's really interesting is that other things have changed that uh, have been much less high-profile. For example, we've moved essentially to a diversion system at music festivals. Police are now issuing fines that don't um, include a criminal record in replacement of uh, court processes for people who are caught um, committing a possession offence. Now, look, it's not uh, what we're all in this uh, movement for, but it is definitely a step in the right direction. exactly and i mean there are still refinements that need to be made to that and even but even the assistant um, commissioner on q a on monday night made reference to that and how police are really keen to see alternatives to fines that might involve for example a referral to some kind of health consultation or that kind of thing that wouldn't involve any cost at all the thing with fines is that that's totally inequitable right it's fine if you're rich it's like decriminalization for wealthy people uh and so some alternative to that that doesn't include a cost is really important but police are recognizing that and so there's this shift going on very quietly uh where it's making a really important step toward um drug use no longer being treated as a criminal matter and that's really exciting. So it's swings and roundabouts right now, but um, yeah, there's, there's the good and the bad, the, the stuck yeah. <laughs> points and places where it's beginning to flow. So. Um, I, I have no idea if there even are sniffer dogs in the UK. Are there
1: sniffer dogs? How does it operate in the UK? Like, do you have the same sort of, uh, you know, funny sort of thing going on that we have here in Australia? Fiona?
6: Yeah, so we do have sniffer dogs at most festivals in the UK. And one of the things that I've been looking at is what are the implications of that in terms of festival goers. So if you have a very high-profile policing presence with sniffer dogs at the gate, then particularly younger drug users might be more scared and more unwilling to take their drugs in. So then they're at the mercy of the festival dealers. And one of the things i find found in my research is that they're twice as likely to rip people off as their neighbourhood dealers, because people build up a rapport with their neighbourhood dealers. They, um, you know, They trust them, or if they happen to sell them dodgy stuff, they can go back and get a refund so generally it's you know they there's a much stronger relationship whereas if they buy off a stranger in a festival they don't know what they're getting there's more chance that the dealer can get lost in the crowd they can sell them anything potentially something even very harmful and so do we really want to be having dogs at the gate who are stopping from getting drugs from their neighbourhood dealer and are driving them into the arms of the festival dealers who might be more likely, to, more likely to rip them off. And I think one of the things that we're finding in the UK is it's the younger drug users who have less experience of sniffer dogs who don't realise that actually it's a bit hit and miss. Whereas older drug users who have been around the block a few times know that they can hide it where the sun doesn't shine, uh, know that the, some of the dogs are pretty hit and this, and therefore they w- are more willing to take that risk. So I think it's dis- it's disproportionately harmful, and it's increasing harm by having the dogs on the gate. Um, so that's one of the things I've been looking at. And we found that people are twice as likely to be ripped off by a dealer in a festival than their neighbourhood dealer.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting point that um, the the way the market works sort of shifts and it, it becomes a young person issue not because it's young people taking drugs but because they're the ones with they're the, more disadvantaged in the, in the market essentially yeah. they don't have the good contact the knowledge, the understanding of how it all works and that's what leads to, leads to harm in the end
6: Yeah, absolutely and we know from our research that the dealers on site are more likely to sell things that look like the drugs but aren't so they just rip them off with salt instead of ketamine or brown sugar instead of MDMA crystal or well, they might sell something, something really harmful like boric acid instead of cocaine. So, um, you know, there are serious health implications of this. It increases drug-related harm.
1: You have an election that's so close now that it's going to be hard to get actual anything pushed through. It's all become about the, um, the perceptions, the, you know, the politics and um, and pushing the campaigns that are already out there.
3: Yeah, I mean, as well, of course, there's a great opportunity in Victoria. You Victorians have um, got a bill, apparently, that's had a first read in Parliament, um... So, of course, I work with Adriana Buccianti and we're really keen to uh, – I mean, of course, she is in particular, being Victorian, very keen to see progress in Victoria, very uh, disappointed by the fact that Labor continues not to engage with the petition, 100,000 supporters now, uh, but that's something that she will certainly be very actively seeking uh, as there is you know, increasing pressure for, for progress in Victoria too.
1: It's been lovely to run into you at Hyde Park on this. Uh, I, look, it's probably not like this for you guys, but I, it's humid. It's like sticky. I'm sweaty on this sweaty uh, Thursday afternoon in Sydney. Thanks, Will. Pleasure. Thanks. And thanks, Fiona. Thank you. It was uh, Will Tragoning from Unharm and Fiona Misham from The Loop, uh, who I uh, caught up with in uh, Sydney. That Look, it, it wasn't. I guess it wasn't that sweaty. It did start pouring rain after that, though. So, I don't know. It was just moist. It's just generally moist in Sydney. Um, you sound like a Nick. <laughs> so, that was... And speaking of which, I, I did also enjoy um, a lot of the signs that were at the Don't Kill Live music rally. Uh, there were some gold ones. There was one that uh, was, um, please please stop um, cancelling music festivals. All my friends have moved to Melbourne. Uh, so, <laughs> it's definitely a thing. Um, there was... Uh, the War on Hugs, More cop- Cops Won't Stop Drugs. Uh, there was This Sign is as Crap as Gladys's Policies, written um, with a Bic onto a piece of cardboard. Uh, there was F Pokies, We Want to Dance. This was the Pokies message. I saw a few that were like that. Uh, the Only Things That Makes Me Glad is Music. <laughs> it's a bit of a <laughs> Gladys pun there. I see what you did. Uh, there was a big one in some uh, very graffiti... Um, uh, spray can, just saying, let the boys gurn. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it's a number of. Um, yeah, the signs were definitely out on display. At the, how many people? Uh, don't do kill you music. There, for- uh, the the estimate was for ten thousand people. I don't have a good idea in my head of what Hyde Park sort of looks like. It was no, it was a big crowd, and um, it probably built up a little bit over. So it ran from six p.m. until. Probably about nine PM. I left around eight PM. It was meant to finish around eight PM, but they they went on for a bit longer. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, it was a fairly big crowd. Um, there were no mounted police there, but there was a lot of bike police. But I reckon if it was Melbourne, we'd have had mounted police there. Um, maybe that's just a Victoria police thing. I don't I don't really know. Um, but yeah, so that was the Don't Kill Live Music Rally. You can support. Uh, there is a petition um, to support the Don't Kill Live Music uh, Rally. Uh, the one that they were handing around there. They were looking specifically for New South Wales residents, but they do want uh, every uh, person across Australia who enjoys live music, enjoys music festivals, uh, and enjoys these sorts of events to get on board with that. So please do look for the Don't Kill Live Music social media uh, and their website where you'll be able to find out a little bit more about the petitions and just support our live music. Uh, We uh, have a fantastic music scene and art scene across Australia, uh, including in poor old little Sydney, even though they seem to be desperate to shut that down. Uh, Melbourne has... um, kept and grown a lot of that and um i'd like to see that uh continuing we haven't quite seen the same uh, uh moves by victorian by the victorian government to quite shut down music festivals in the same way as in new south wales but that doesn't mean that there aren't problems hence the city street rave uh yesterday ash
0: yeah uh it was an interesting event it was kind of put together on a pretty short time frame um there was an excessive amount of police there at the beginning. Uh, it was it kind of built up over the afternoon once the, the music started and um, probably 150 people, maybe, maybe more, uh, by the end of the event. But uh, at the beginning, we heard from uh, three politicians, two newly elected, um, Fiona Patton from the Reason Party, who uh, is back for a second term in the Legislative Council, Uh, Tim Reid from the Greens, uh, who is the drug and alcohol spokesperson and the member for Brunswick in the Legislative Assembly. And uh, David Limbrick, who is a member of the Liberal Democratic Party and member for Southeast Metro in the Legislative Council, and I should say as well, he's he's also my boss. <laughs> so <laughs> I now work for David in his electorate office. So just full disclosure, I felt like I, you know should, probably should conflict mention that.
4: Conflict of interest. Uh, uh, no, I think right. it's fine. I can be an activist. The other way around, he's got a and- conflict
1: being interviewed by you you've been doing this longer than he has so is that Um, that how it works uh, i'm not sure but (laughs) anyway like i
0: I treated him the same as the other politicians for the for the interview um and we're gonna hear from them next
1: yep oh and did you mention greg chip as well oh and greg Greg chip oh yeah sorry of course (laughs)
0: greg chip from drug policy australia was emceeing the event and um uh, he was standing next to fiona patton at the time so i interviewed both of them together this is Ash from in Psychedelia. I'm it was a bit windy with at the start. Greg Chip, the director <laughs> of Drug Policy Australia, and Fiona Patton, member for the Upper House in the Northern Metro region and leader of the Reason Party, uh, and we're here at the City Street Rave event to support uh, the festival community and pill testing. Um, Fiona, you were very active in uh, the last Parliament, the 58th Parliament, helping to get up a drug inquiry. Yeah. How are things looking now at the start of this this term of parliament?
7: Look, sadly, there's quite a bit of resistance, particularly to pill testing. I, I am, I am, um, a little bit optimistic that we are going to see some of the reforms that were recommended in the drug law reform report over the next few years. But you know, with pill testing being the first. Um, drug policy issue for this term, it's been really disappointing that the government just hasn't um, listened to the evidence, listened to the experts and done everything they could to keep people safe.
0: And we saw um, one of the first things that the crossbench did was um, uh, get out on the steps of parliament and make a public statement. That's How does it look in the crossbench,
7: do you think? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've got nearly unanimous support on the crossbench for a pill testing trial. when we ask the minister time and time again in question time why she, what evidence or what information she has to that has led them to the decision, she's unable to produce anything privately when you speak to MPs from both sides of parliament, uh, they're all in support of it. So we can't seem to find many people who are opposed to it except the Premier.
0: And Greg, you've been uh, doing activism in this space for many years now. How do things look for you? What's, what's going on in the activist space?
5: Oh, hi
8: Ash. Look, yes, I'm a passionate campaigner in big pictures change to the drug laws. Um, I, I see changes occurring slowly. It's fantastic that we've got about four or five activist organisations springing up like mushrooms uh, around the country that are just saying, I've had enough, we're not going to take it anymore, which is really really where Drug Policy Australia as an advocacy organisation is putting the case that we need to end the bloody prohibition of drugs that criminalises, demeans, persecutes, prosecutes people that use drugs. I'm a supporter and I spoke at the um, Victorian Drug Inquiry that Fiona. Uh, instigated and we put a proposal to uh, that committee that uh, ecstasy should be legalized and regulated we're the only voice in the committee that I believe actually argued that point but that's the big picture solution pill testing is certainly a fantastic harm reduction measure that we support but it doesn't get quality known strength drugs into the marketplace that can be monitored and that will eventually save lives. So we've also
0: um, seen the injecting centre um, has been operating now for how long is it? Nine months? Six months. Six months. Um, That was a campaign that you helped drive through the parliament. Mm, mm. How are things looking at the medically supervised injecting centre in North Richmond?
7: Look, in many ways, the centre has been a tremendous success. You know, it's obviously saving lives. There's over 1,500 people registered who are regularly using drugs there. Uh, They have been put into touch with hep C treatments, mental health treatments, dental treatments. So it really has been performing incredibly well. I think unfortunately some of the the statistics around the amenity in the area have not improved as much as we would have liked them to. And the most recent ambulance call-outs show that there has only been a very modest uh, decrease overall in overdoses in the area, however there has been a massive decrease in overdoses when the centre is open. And that is the key here. The centre is at capacity and it must open for longer hours. At the moment, it closes just as everybody's going out to have dinner, take the dogs for a walk. So the sense of of chaos is is still there for the residents and that's frustrating, but the government just has to open it for longer hours. That's all there is to it.
8: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a trial and, look, it's a trial, I would say it's a resounding success... As Fiona was saying, giving people access to health services, uh, that in itself is a worthwhile byproduct of the centre. But yes, it needs longer hours, needs more funding, uh, and we actually need a second one. Um, so, what's next on the agenda,
0: Fiona? more things coming up on drug policy? Yeah,
7: absolutely. And I think, really, I'm very determined to implement the 50 recommendations that were made from that drug law reform report. And some of those, I think, are very low-hanging fruit, you know, starting to create a fourth pillar for for our harm minimisation approach, and that would be a fourth pillar of treatment. Uh, I think we can make significant movement on legalising cannabis this term. I've introduced, first read the bill, and we'll start working on developing that bill over the coming months. There is, I think, an understanding, particularly at that problematic drug use end, that we have to treat it as a health issue, not a criminal one. And then where the 99, 99% of us are at that recreational use end end, I think people are starting to understand that prohibition doesn't work and regulation of cannabis and maybe even things like MDMA are actually a much more sensible approach for governments.
0: The government has moved on their election promise to hold a royal commission into mental health. How do you see this playing into the discussion of drug policy in this term of
7: parliament? Look, I I certainly spoke to the Premier about this, that drug use obviously has to be an integral part of that Royal Commission. We know, particularly at the problematic end, that the vast majority of people who were overdosing um, and the overdose deaths that we saw, the vast majority of them had been diagnosed with a mental health issue. We know so often that mental health and drug uh, harmful drug use are uh, inter- interconnected and intertwined, and I think so. I think there is some appetite for that. I know that a lot of the alcohol and drug services have have also strenuously uh, moved for that to be the case, and that for the terms of reference to to include drugs as an important component of it. That will help us in treating drug use as a As a health issue, not a criminal one, uh, and I hope it will lead us towards a decriminalisation model. And meanwhile, the the other side, the adult use and recreational side, uh, that's something that we have to be working on outside that inquiry. Great. Anything else you want to add? All right. Thank you. Fiona Patton...
0: Greg Chip, anything you want to add before we. Look, just taking
8: on? up Fiona's the point there, yeah, it's an absolute uh, obscenity that people with mental health issues that are self medicating get dragged into the uh, criminal justice system, uh, locked up, uh, and again, th- these poor buggers having a, a struggling hard time of it anyway. Um, to to have their behaviour criminalised, as I said, is just an obscenity. And, yeah, hopefully the Victorian government uh, looks at this issue, but hopefully society's attitudes will change as well uh, to people that use drugs. And the prejudice and the persecution from people who use drugs, whether they have a mental illness or not, uh, will will be redressed in in the coming years. Great. Thank you.
0: Greg Chip, the Director of Drug Policy Australia, and Fiona Patton, Leader of the Reason Party and Member for Northern Metro in the Upper House of Victoria's Parliament. Hey, how's it going? You're listening to 3CR Radical Radio. This is Ash from Encyclopedia here at the City Street Rave in uh, Carlton Gardens in Melbourne. And I'm here with David Limbrick, member for the Upper House for the Southeastern Metro and one of the newly elected members from the Liberal Democratic Party. Welcome to the show, David.
4: Hi, Ash. How's it going?
0: Yeah, good, thanks. So, you're new to Parliament um, and we haven't had any LDP members before. Do you want to just maybe introduce who you are and a little bit about who the Liberal Democrats are?
4: Yeah, no worries. Um, so, the, the Liberal Democrats were what? You know, people call either a classical liberal or a libertarian party and one of our fundamental beliefs is that you know people should be able to act freely without the influence of government as long as they don't hurt other people and so um, you know i'm here today at this event to um, show our support for pill testing uh, this this fits into our philosophy because we think that you know people if they if they own their own body and they're allowed to make decisions about their own body they should be able to uh, get more information to help judge the risks about uh, possible harm to their own body. And pill testing uh, allows them to get more information to better judge those risks and and hopefully result in uh, less harm to people who who choose to take drugs. So what else do you think might
0: be in line, uh, in store for us in this parliament and what what are your priorities uh, in terms of drug law reform in, in this term of parliament?
4: Yeah, so in, in terms of drug law reform, I mean, there, there's a lot of angles at the moment. Uh, obviously, there's a couple of uh, uh, cannabis uh, legalisation bills, one from uh, uh, Reason Party and one from the Greens. They have quite different approaches and uh, we have uh, differing views on uh, cannabis legalisation. Um, we, we prefer a more uh, deregulated approach, but um, also we'll be looking at, you know, is there opportunity for decriminalisation of, of all drugs, uh, you know, for for possession? And what what does that really look like for in reality? So, um, you know, there's a lot of different models that could be used and we'll be looking at, you know, how might that actually be possible? Uh, and of course, pill testing. So, you know, there's been a fair bit of resistance from the government on pill testing and... You know, I suppose we're still optimistic that they might change their mind, but um, they've been fairly, you know, fairly determined to uh, not, not move on that so far, but maybe with more community support um, that they might change their mind. I, I, and I, I hope that that will happen.
0: Um, and vaping has been an issue that's kicked around uh, from time to time in yes. um, Victoria and around the country. It's something that libertarians in general have been quite supportive of, and you've gotten off on the front foot on that in
4: Parliament. Yeah, so um, I asked a question about vaping to the the health minister at the last sitting of Parliament, and um, you know we, we were just asking about you know there's been a lot of new evidence around vaping and its beneficial effects for people to um, uh, cease uh, tobacco consumption, and. and you know it causes uh causes people to uh consume a product which has less harm than than burning tobacco and uh, you know i've spoken to lots of people who've taken up vaping who who are ex-smokers and they, they tell me you know anecdotally about the the positive health effects that they've had and um you know it looks like the the science is also stacking up on that so but I mean, from a, from a from from the libertarian point of view, it's really you know we want more choices for people to to uh, give them give them more freedom to be able to uh, make choices about their own body, and vaping is just another choice I think, and uh, it, it, I find it you know pretty upsetting that it's still illegal, and it's. I think it's getting to the point where it's a bit of a joke you know you walk around melbourne cbd and you see everyone's vaping you know lots of people are already doing it it's just a matter of the laws to catch up and i'm I'm fairly confident that you know sometime in the near future the government will sort of change their mind on this just because of the fact that the reality is that people are already doing it so they've either got a know change the laws to update the with the reality or they've got to crack down on it you know they've got to do one of those things they can't have this situation where the laws and reality are so far out of whack it's a common feature of drug laws It certainly is (laughs) It certainly is Um, any other
0: um priorities or things that you think are on the agenda in the near future
4: yeah so in the in the very near future i mean we're, we're We've got some concerns with some of the bills coming through Parliament, probably in the next sitting. Uh, The the Justice Legislation Amendment bill um, has a lot of uh, things that concern us, but in particular, the lowering the threshold for police to collect uh, DNA from people. I don't think a lot of people are aware of this issue Um, at the moment. You know, someone needs to be either arrested or they need a court order before the police can collect their DNA. Under this new bill, that bar will be lowered so that they can just be uh, suspected of a crime. Um, I'm very concerned about this, and we're currently looking into, you know, what what are the what are the possible ramifications of this, um, and what could we possibly do about um, you know, stopping it or, or, or at least uh, at least lowering the possible harm that might be caused by that. You know, we're very concerned about giving the police more powers at the moment. Yes. And Victoria, um, the government,
0: one of the priorities of this government that they're delivering on, which was an election promise, was the um, Royal Commission into Mental Health, mm-hmm. which presumably will cover areas of drug policy. Um, do you have any thoughts about that and how that might play out in Parliament?
4: Yeah, look, I, I, th- I think there is a lot of uh, outcomes of that, that we, w- we would like to see that will play into, uh, or will feed into drug law reform. So I think I'm very keen to see what the results of that are. And, you know, does that provide us with um, further guidance on how drug law reform might look in the future? I think maybe a lot of people in the government also are are waiting for that. A lot of people probably are reluctant to move on drug law reform right now until the output of that, until that's completed. So... Yeah, I think it's something that I'll be very interested in looking at the outcomes of. Anything else you want to add? Look, I mean, you know, we're just starting out in this whole process. Um, it's been fantastic so far for us to be able to, you know, talk about um, our beliefs and our philosophy. And I think it's great that we can uh, cooperate with other members of the crossbench in Parliament, even though we have, in some time, in, in some cases, radically different uh philosophical views but sometimes we end up landing on the same conclusion even though we come at it a different way and you know I've been very happy to uh, cooperate with people such as Fiona Patton from Reason and the Greens even on on certain issues and you know I think in the future there'll be other people that we can cooperate with Um, you know we don't need to have the same philosophical background to, to come to the same conclusion on a lot of these things. So I am looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about drug law reform to potentially new audiences who may have may have uh, not engaged with it because you know they thought this was maybe a, a left issue or something and you know maybe we're not seen in that way and we we're, were communicating to, to new people about this and they're having to consider it in a different way and not just reject it outright. And I'm really looking forward to that. Great. Well,
0: uh, thanks for joining us on in Psychedelia, and congratulations on being elected to the 59th Parliament. Thanks for having
5: me. Hi, this is Hugo the Poet. You're listening to 3CR. And by doing that, you're supporting community radio, an incredibly important institution in our times.
0: We're joined this afternoon, also uh, another politician, the recently elected member for Brunswick in the Legislative Assembly and the spokesperson for the Greens on drug and alcohol policy, Tim Reid. Welcome to the show.
5: Thanks very
0: much for having me, Ash. And uh, congratulations on being elected. Congrats.
5: Yeah, thanks again. It uh, took a, a week or so to work out whether whether I'd been elected or not, but uh, uh, we got there in the end.
0: I think it was like that for a few members this election. It took quite a long time to get confirmation of everything that uh, had, had kind of, you know, which, which way things had fallen. For sure. Um, So the Greens have some uh, policies and bills coming up in Parliament. Um, I think uh, Ellen Sandel, the member for Melbourne, came out just this week um, and admitted to previous use of MDMA herself and introduced a a bill on pill testing.
5: That's right. So, um, in fact, uh, yeah, it was Samantha Ratham, in fact, who um, did the first reading of the bill in the Upper House. The details of the bill are still being drafted and so sometime during the year we hope that that will come to debate in the, in the Legislative Council.
0: Um.
1: I I, I was just curious a little bit, um, Tim, about you and your background, because I know you've, uh, about four years ago, um, we met, we were just talking uh, before we were uh, on air, um, but last election I was going to run with the Australian Sex Party in the seat of Brunswick and then got got moved last minute, but uh, um, you, uh, remember when we met, you said you were working in AIDS and HIV prevention, Um, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, background as a doctor?
5: Yes, so I've been working in as a specialist in sexual health and HIV for about 20 years. Uh, some, some of that research and some of that treating patients and I've been interested in things like antibiotic resistance and, and also HIV care and prevention. But one of the interesting things that comes out of sexual health research is that if, if you want to help people uh, change their behavior or, or uh, use safer sex or whatever. Um, telling people to just not do something, you know, the old abstinence. Do you remember, do you remember 20 years ago they were talking about preaching abstinence? Uh, as, a, as a form of HIV prevention. It just
1: doesn't oh. work. <laughs> I didn't realise. Uh, 20 years ago, I was. Uh, where are we now, 2019? I'd just entered high school um, 20 years ago, but I do remember quite distinctly uh, the John Howard uh, tough on drugs era. There must have been some stuff that came into our school at that time or something as well, because I remember it being really pushed. And, uh, you know, I grew up as an anti-drugs kid, and look where it got me. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Who, who would have known? So, um, if you if you take the lessons from sexual health and apply them to to drug related health, uh, I think the same applies. If abstinence is what they talk about with sex. Just say no for drugs. It's the same thing, and it's equally ineffective in both areas. And but it's more than ineffective. It's it's a way for governments or health services to say, actually, we don't want to engage with you. We don't. We don't want to talk to you about what you want to talk about, and we don't really care about you, and and that's why I think that this whole war on drugs is really a war on young people.
0: And um, you've had a little bit of time to kind of find your feet in Parliament now, and uh, it's an interesting Parliament with uh, such a large and diverse crossbench, and... Sort of coming on the tail of um, signature policies like the injecting room in, um, in North Richmond, how do you feel about the prospects for um, uh, helping to push through some significant drug law reform in this in this uh, term?
5: Yeah, look, I, I waver between optimism and pessimism. I'll, I'll explain why. You, you would, I, I've been thinking of pill testing and the safe injecting room as the first steps in a move towards more sensible drug policy, where we move away from criminalization and prohibition and talk more about regulation and harm reduction. But we, we've taken some really progressive steps towards harm reduction, but they don't, each step doesn't seem to necessarily trigger the next one. It's, it's as though we've got to fight for each one. But let me explain. We got needle exchanges, needle and syringe exchanges, introduced back in the 1980s. Australia was one of the first countries to do this, and and we really led the world there. But then we stopped, and Safe Injecting Room in King's Cross, I can't remember when that was, was it a decade ago or so?
0: Yeah, about 2000, I think.
5: They're about 2001, maybe. yeah. Mm. Yeah, but then we stopped again, right? And then, Uh, the Safe Injecting Centre in Richmond. But even now, the state government is saying, no way are they going to introduce pill testing. It's as if we have to go back and fight the fight from the beginning each time.
1: I I agree. I think think it does... Feel like we're, we're starting from the beginning each time. And I think that there, I mean, over the years that we've been doing this show and um, uh, talking to a number of people from politicians to academics to, you know, scientists and all sorts, uh, it seems like one of the major things that we, we haven't been able to get past yet is honest conversations about drugs. If we don't talk honestly about drugs, then the reason why we have to start back at the start every time is because in a lot of people's heads, it's still a moral or criminal issue, or it's still a medical issue in that if somebody takes drugs, they are an addict who needs the help of the state to get themselves out of that way of being. Both of those... Uh, that, those people who are either the addict or the criminal have no autonomy in that narrative. They're not allowed to have any free ideas, especially if it's about their own drug use, because they're wrong, because they're either morally, uh, they've got moral failings or they're sick. And I think that's where we, we haven't got past that because uh, even now that we're trying to turn it into a medical narrative, I think sometimes we hear people um, who who think that they're being compassionate, but you, when you treat somebody like, oh because they've chosen and to take drugs that they're a sick person, that isn't necessarily good for the 90% of people who choose to take drugs who don't run into problems. The vast majority who are silent about it, who don't want to talk openly and honestly about this issue because of the stigma, because those are the only two ways that they really get framed in the public discourse.
5: Yep. Uh, so, and I'm saying this as a doctor, right, I think that we do... Run the risk of medicalizing too many issues or over medicalizing them. Uh, I, I do see it as an important public health issue, but it's primarily a human rights issue. Exactly. That is, that, that we we need to understand that people have the right to decide how they're going to live their lives if if they're not hurting others. That we have to give them the information that they want to hear, uh, share some advice if they're still listening. Uh, and then understand that people are going to make their own decisions.
0: Um, we do have a jam-packed show today, so we're going to have to leave it there uh, in a moment. Any final thoughts? D-
5: despite... I don't, I don't want to finish sounding too pessimistic. I, overall, I think that Australia is uh, way more progressive than a lot of other countries in terms of uh, methadone availability and a bunch of other things. We've got uh, room to improve in a lot of areas, but... Um, the, the other thing I really want to see some progress on is is legalisation of cannabis. I think that's the next big challenge and I see this as you know pill testing as a, as a step along the way. but as I said earlier we've got to fight for them all. Thanks very much for getting in touch with us on this and I think you know there's going to be some interesting stuff in state parliament this year on this issue. For we'll more keep in
1: touch. For more information about any of the uh, guests that you heard on the program this afternoon, uh, the place to go is uh, 3cr.org.au. Follow the links to the Ensychedelia program page uh, and find us on social media. Uh, We'll be back next week from 2 o'clock. In the meantime, uh, Queering Nia is up next and Frank is hosting this afternoon. Enjoy your Sunday Arvo. See ya. This is
9: Encyclopedia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au and head to the Psychedelia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Psychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. This for has been 1-800. a 3CR
0: podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.